Hello everyone and welcome to the Wilds Cast. Today we're going to be rebroadcasting a lunch and learn that Rabbi Wilds gave on Facebook Live. With only a day left until Passover, Rabbi Wilds offers insights about the Jewish festival and the biblical story of the Exodus on which it is based. So, without any further ado, here's Rabbi Wilds. Um, okay, I want to share some hopefully inspirational messages with you to get you ready for Passover and then we'll continue in our discussion um, about the Seder and about things that we can do to enhance our Seders this year, particularly in a difficult, difficult time. Um, I'm just looking through some of my notes here. Stick with me. Um, okay, actually have some really interesting things as we get uh, closer to the Seder. All right, so first of all, let me just welcome you to my new home. My brother Michael is on. Uh, take a look at this kind of log cabin we're in. I won't um, wait. I'm going to say hi, Jill. Jill wants to say hello. Hello. Yehuda, please say hello. <laughs> okay, so this is going to be our home for Passover. It's pretty cool. It actually reminds me of the lodge that we stayed in for the MGE ski retreat. Take a look at this gorgeous, gorgeous view. This is unbelievable. Maybe I'll take you out towards the end of this talk and we'll do the final message maybe outside because look how gorgeous it is. It's unbelievable. And it's just a reminder that with all the craziness we're experiencing, God's nature is still absolutely magnificent. I'm sorry that I'm not able to do it on... Um, on wide. For some reason, uh, Binyamin was giving me a hard time. But anyway, um, I want to get back into the Seder and some of the really important messages um, of the Haggadah that we are now studying together. Um, Joel, you see my naps? Oh, here it is. The knapsack is right here. So first of all, I want to mention a couple of Haggadahs. Also, um, I mentioned this last night. It's a great Haggadah. If you still want to see if you can get it to you, maybe you won't have it for the Seder but it's great reading for the rest of the holiday. It's called A Night, The Night That Unites. Uh, that's one interesting Haggadah. And this is where I, um, I'm getting a lot of my information that I've been sharing with you. This is Lubavitcher Rebbe's Haggadah. I'm gonna be sharing some information from Lubavitcher Rebbe's Haggadah. And this is the Shlomo Karbal Haggadah. Also great stories and items. And this is a book about healing back pain because my back's been bothering me. It has nothing to do with Passover, the Seder, and I shouldn't even be sharing it, but it was in the pile. Okay, so we are going to continue on where we left off, and I want to just give you ideas and, uh, and themes. We had a big mock Seder last night, and mock, the mock Seder was more about the mechanics, how-tos, how much do you drink, when, and all of the choreography. This is more and more about the ideas uh, behind what we are doing. The last time we discussed the... Um, the Halachmania um, and the invitation. Um, and the one thing that also we're sort of up to now is this discussion in the Haggadah between all these great sages, staying up all night. Now, what is the idea of Rabbi Eleazar, Rabbi Tarfon, Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Akiva? These were the great Talmudic sages, and they're up all night talking about Yitzhak Mitzrayim, talking about the Exodus from Egypt. What were they talking about all night? These were great sages. They knew the whole story. What are they getting into? 
So one explanation is, is that a true scholar never rests. A true scholar is devoted to always getting a deeper understanding of the subject matter, and here it's the Exodus. And it shows their devotion and also their humility. Like, that's the greatest thing, by the way. What is the most impressive accolade you could ever give to anyone else who is a Jew? You call that person a Talmud Chacham. A Talmud is a student of wisdom. We never call anyone a Chacham. In the Sarda community, actually, they do call people Chacham. Chacham this, Chacham that. But in the Ashkenazic world, we call him a Talmud Chacham. A Talmud is a student. Like my father always used to say, you know, he's been practicing law for how many years? I mean, when is he going to get it right? When do you stop practicing? But that's a very important idea that you never rest. You're always learning. You're always growing. And these great erudite, scholarly, wow, amazing people coming on. Ariel Brenner, Eitan, Jesse Frankel, Brian Hacken, Jamie Levy, Ron Brody, Lewis Leader, awesome. Jeff Koblenz, great to have you again. Stephanie Hauser, everyone else. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So, what, what, is this, Facebook Live? this is Facebook Live, if you want to tell Remy yeah. or anyone else. Facebook Live, just go on the MGE page or my page uh, and it should be there. So that's one explanation. A true scholar never rests. And that's why even though we all know the story, we were slaves and God took us out, there's so much to talk about the story and that's what those rabbis were doing. Another explanation is something I alluded to last night, and that is they themselves, these great rabbis were living under Roman rule in the aftermath of the Second Temple's destruction. Rabbi Akiva himself was one of the greatest supporters of what was called the Bar Kokhva Revolt. That was a revolt against uh, the, the um, uh, it was a revolt staged by Bar Kokhva, who was a great nationalistic hero of the Jewish people. And Rabbi Akiva threw his rabbinic following behind the Bar Kokhva Revolt. Literally for a hundred years after the destruction of the Second Temple, the Jews were fighting against the Romans, trying to regain their sovereignty and foothold in the land of Israel. And these rabbis are living in that time. Think about this for a minute. They themselves are living under the Roman rule in the aftermath of the Second Temple's destruction. And according to some, they're looking to the Exodus for answers to their own situation. They're looking to what their ancestors, who lived 2,000 years before them, maybe 1,500 years before them, right? What did they do to get out of that pickle, out of that terrible situation? Because we're in that situation now, and I think that's such a powerful lesson for us, to look at the Seder, to look at Passover, to look at the way that our ancestors were redeemed, to be able to deal with our corona situation today. You know, um, when I was a kid, I used to get annoyed when I, when I got upset about something. I was upset, and then I'd have like a rabbi or teacher who would like bring up the Holocaust or something really awful in Jewish history. And I'd all of a sudden start feeling guilty. I'd feel guilty, like, why am I upset about this stupid, trivial thing when all these Jews were killed in the crematoriums? And I'm like, I know that's like a ridiculous thing, but something to think about and to reflect on. Can you just ask Yosef to lower it or go to another... Spot, if you don't mind, thank you. My son is actually doing a, uh, a Zoom uh, video with his NCSYers now, and with some high school kids that he's teaching, so it's a little loud here. Um, but that's one thing to try to put corona, quarantine, it's an awful situation. There's a lot of anxiety. But the Jewish people have been through so much worse in the past. And if we can get through those events, we can get through this event. The question is, what can we learn specifically from Yitzhak Mitzrayim? 
What can we learn from the Exodus from Egypt? It's something I keep sharing again and again, is we feel enclosed, we feel enslaved, we feel quarantined. Um, and, uh, and, and that's a natural feeling to experience right now because that's what we're being asked to do. We're asked to close our homes, hunker down, and not have social contact with other people. And we were living like that as slaves for over two centuries, and we somehow were redeemed, and that's what we're gonna be praying for over the next couple of days over Passover, which is to be redeemed from this quarantine, from this enslavement, from this Egypt that we're now in today. Um, I wanna share, though, uh, a story of a great rabbi, Rav Eisel Kharif of Slonim. And it really goes back to the first explanation. Why were these rabbis in the Haggadah up all night talking about the Exodus, a story that they knew already? They were curious. It's one of the most important uh, traits in Judaism is to be curious. Uh, Albert Einstein in his memoirs wrote that one of the most important feelings to cultivate, he says, is the imagination and the curiosity of a child, which he had his whole life, and which motivated him to constantly want to get more answers to more questions that he had. And there's a story of a great rabbi, Rav Eisel of Kharif of Slonim, who's looking to marry off his daughter. And uh, you pl please forgive me if I shared this story before, I've been doing a lot of teaching. And he of course wanted to meet, he wanted his daughter to meet someone very learned in Torah. And so he traveled to the greatest yeshiva of his time, the world famous yeshiva of Elohim, where the best and brightest Talmudic students were enrolled. And upon his arrival, he was informed, he informed the head of the yeshiva, he informed the head of the yeshiva that he would present an involved and detailed question on the Torah to all of his students, and would ever be able to give a suitable answer would be given his daughter's hand in marriage. We're just moving into this place, so it's a little crazy today. Anyway, Rav Eisel got up in front of the whole yeshiva, he posed the question, and it was a very good yeshiva. He figured he would get one student who knew the answer, and that student he would offer his daughter's hand in marriage. That's a crazy way to meet someone, but probably easier than what we go through in Manhattan. Anyway, the question, though, was so difficult that no one could answer it right away. And he therefore stipulated that he would give all of the yeshiva students 24 hours to come up with an answer. 24 hours came and went, and no one came forward. And so Rav Eisel got up on his coach, and he proceeded back home. And suddenly the coach driver hears a voice, and he looks behind him, and he sees this one student. is running, and he's gasping, and he's running. He's trying to catch up to the coach, and the driver begins to slow down. And Rav Eisel tells him, just keep going. It's too late. 24 hours is up. And the driver says, come on, give this guy a break. Have pity on him. And Rav Eisel relents and the driver stops the horses. And as soon as the young man catches up, the rabbi tells him, look, it's too late to be considered for my daughter's hand in marriage. The day has already passed. And the student says, I know. I know I can't marry your daughter. And I don't have the answer to the question. But can you please tell me the answer to the question? You left town without telling us the answer to that amazing question that you posed. And Rav Eisel, of course, was so impressed, so impressed with his, the student's inquisitiveness, with his curiosity, with his great desire to know the answer, even though he wouldn't get the reward, if you will. And of course, he gave his daughter's hand in marriage to this young man, and that young man became the legendary and famous Rav Yosla of Slonim, the great Slonim Rebbe, uh, who I always love uh, to quote. 
And that's really one lesson of the Haggadah. Even if you're alone at the Seder, we still read through it, we still ask ourselves questions, and we try to dig a little deeper. And this is really an opportunity. I don't know why this is happening. People keep calling me, Rabbi, why is this happening? What is God saying to us? I don't know. I'm like everybody else, I'm not a prophet. But the one thing I can tell you is that we are being given the opportunity to develop ourselves in ways that we could not develop ourselves if Corona had not hit. We are being given more time to pray. We are given more time to learn. We are given more time to spend, some of us, with our loved ones, whether we want to be that kind of time. Everybody's always complaining. I heard this one rabbi say, I, have no, I never have enough time for my family. I never have enough time for my family. Well, now you got enough time for your family if you're stuck home with them all day. And uh, that's a very, very important idea. And the other idea I want to share with you, and you have this in your handout, is to really get a little perspective, a little spiritual perspective on what's happening. Take a look at the last page of the handout. And here it's called Prayer for Eating Chametz on Passover. This is going to blow you away. Um, This was a terrible, terrible situation during the war. What did families do? who were either in ghettos or in concentration camps and didn't have matzah or didn't have the ability to refrain from eating chametz like we do. You know, a lot of people are having a harder time getting certain things. I told Stephanie before she had a hard time getting her shank bone for the Seder, so we left the shank bone with our doorman. You know... No, I bought it for her. Oh, no. Jill bought you the shank bone. Okay, I'm glad everybody's listening to this. So anyway, um, this is really important. The Jews in Bergen-Belsen were told by the rabbis that we're incarcerated there, that we're in prison there, that we're enslaved in that concentration camp, that they should eat chametz. Because if they didn't eat for the eight days anything that the Nazis would give them that was chametz, they would, they would starve and they would die. And we know that the most important mitzvah is to live. The Torah says, V'chai bahem. To live by the mitzvah, which the Talmud interprets, V'loshi amut bahem, you shouldn't die by them. So take a look at the last page of the handout. I saved this as we got closer to Passover. And this was a prayer from Bergen-Belsen that was recited in 1944. It's on display at the Ghetto Fighters Museum in Tel Aviv. And it was written, or at least dictated, it says here, by Rabbi Aaron Bernard Davids, who was the leader of the Dutch community in Holland. And also, perhaps, by Rabbi Simon Dasberg of, I'm going to mispronounce the place, but also another city in Holland, for communities who had been interred first in the Holland transit camp and then sent to Bergen-Belsen to the concentration camp. And you got to hear this. I'm going to read it to you in Hebrew. And translated, it's in your source material that Binyamin posted. Says the following: It says on the top that before anyone eats chametz on Passover, they should say this prayer with proper kavana, with proper focus and concentration. Avinu our Father in heaven, It is known before you. That it is our will to do your will. 
v'lachog et Chag Pesach, and to celebrate the holiday of Passover, v'achilat matzah, in eating of matzah, u'bishmirat isur chametz, and in guarding against the prohibition of of chametz, of owning chametz, of eating chametz, achalzot, and therefore, because of this, da'avali benu, my heart is da'ava, my heart is pained, da'ava is pained, shahashibud, that are shibud, anybody know what the Hebrew word shibud? Shibud means servitude, or enslavement, it sounds like he's a slave in Egypt, but he's now a slave in 1944 in Bergen-Belsen, Ma'akevotanu, the, the servitude is preventing us, va'anachnu, and all of us nimtsa'im bekavanat be'sakanat nefashot, and all of us find ourselves in a situation of sakanat nefashot, which means of danger of our bodies, of our souls, of losing our lives. Hininu muchanimu muzamin lakayim mitzvotecha, we are prepared and we are ready. Not to die. This is not a martyrdom prayer. This is just the opposite. This is a prayer of life. We are now about to, to fulfill the mitzvah of v'chai bahem, which means to live by the mitzvot. And to be careful to heed your warning. Which means be careful. Ushmar nafshecha and guard your soul, me'od, which refers to the body here, and to guard yourself, which refers to the mitzvot of not doing anything which could harm you. So this great, these rabbis said, you're going to have to eat chametz this Passover. I want you to say this tefillah before you eat the chametz. That which you're absolutely forbidden from the Torah to eat, you need to eat this year. Now, we don't need to do that, thank God. But our brethren, our brothers and sisters in Bergen-Belsen, they had to eat chametz. But you know what they said? They said that we are ready to eat chametz, but we're going to do it as a mitzvah. What mitzvah are we going to fulfill by eating chametz? We're going to fulfill the mitzvah of v'chai behem, which means to live by the Torah, and as the Talmud explains, v'loshia mut bahem, and not, God forbid, die by the mitzvot. And thank God they ate the chametz. Al-kein tzvilatenu lecha, and therefore, he's finishing up, our prayer is before you, that you should keep us alive, utkiyamenu, and you should fulf- and 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 bring us ugaalenu bimhera. I can't read that in other words. It says in the English, you should observe. Um, therefore, our prayer to you is that you should keep us alive and sustain us, ugaalenu, and redeem us, bimhera quickly, and observe your laws, v'lasot ritzonecha, and fulfill your will. And serve you with a complete and full heart. Amen. This is so powerful. Therefore, these, and, and when, when on the Jews gathered around, and it says here, ate their meager ration of bread on the night of Passover instead of matzah. This is something I think we should think about um, during this year. Because Baruch Hashem, thank God, we're, yeah, we're going through a difficult time. But this puts it all in perspective. And we can even, we can still keep a kosher Pesach. We just can't get together in shuls. And the biggest and most painful part is that we're not going to be with a lot of the people that we really want to be with, that we can't be with. But think about it for a minute. Because you are quarantining yourself and because you're not with your loved ones, 
You're keeping them alive and you're enabling them to live another year. I spoke to my brother last night, you know, and we've never been apart. <laughs> yeah. Never been apart for a Seder. And I've never not been with my dad either. And we keep saying to each other that because we are observing this and because we are not going to be with each other, that's going to allow us to spend a lot more time, please God, with each other. And, and I said this last night, I keep repeating it again and again, because even if you are and you get away with it, so to speak, and you're okay and they're okay, we need to be part of the solution and not part of the problem and help the whole world conquer this thing. Because it's only by working together that we're going to be able to bring that curve down and actually change this situation. So that's my blessing. And that is a bracha. You can bring this. You can uh, print this out. We came to this house. We're here. We actually brought a printer with us so we could print some of this kind of stuff out and have it at our Seder. Read it. Read it. When you're feeling a little down and you're feeling like a little alone, this is something to read and to appreciate just the gift of life that we thankfully have. Okay, let's take one or two other ideas. I'm sorry to get so emotional. Um, it's an emotional time. Yeah. Okay, now, I want to mention um, another idea here. Yeah, I mentioned this last night. Um... And I think I may have mentioned this. Oh, okay. So anyway, that's that's what I wanted to share um, about the Seder. I want to share another idea, though, about one of the plagues. I was just on the phone before with Rabbi Ezra. Somebody asked them an interesting question about all these plagues. How long did they take? And most authorities' opinions seem to vary between a couple of months and a year. But this took place, this took place over the course of an entire year. Guys, this is just so hard for me. I just, I, I love you all. I just, I can't concentrate. Is anyone gonna move this to upstairs? Not now. <laughs> okay. Um, so um, you're gonna be going through all the 10 plagues uh, at your Seder. And you know, we take a little wine out, out of, the, the cup to represent the idea that even though we're happy that our enemies were defeated and they were put down, we are thankful that, um, you know, we're, we're still upset and we're a little, um, we're just a little uh, having a hard time with the fact that other people, even our enemies had to suffer. I mean, maybe some people are not bothered by that, but the Jew who feels compassion all the time is 100% bothered by that. So, um, but we're happy that it happened at the same time. We know this from the Mishnah Perke Avot, the ethics of our fathers, Al Tismach bin Folo We never get happy when our enemies down. We're happy that they're defeated, so we are saved, but we're not happy that anyone actually has to uh, suffer. And in anticipation of the seventh plague, that's the plague of Barad, of hail, God tells Moshe to tell Paro, that everyone who wants to be protected from this plague should go inside. You know, the Egyptians actually had warning for all the plagues. Moshe told Paro, if you don't let the Jewish people go, 
I'm going to turn the Nile into blood. If you don't do this, this is going to happen. You don't do this. He just kept ignoring. And now we're up to the seventh plague. And the seventh plague is hail. And God tells Moshe to tell Paro that hail is going to come down. And it's going to wipe out all the livestock. And you should bring everything inside to be prepared for this. He gave him ample warning. You know, it's amazing. I always think about this when Israel drops, when has to attack certain sources um, in different areas of, of where they're fighting. It could be in the Gaza Strip. It's one of the only armies in the world that drops leaflets and says, we're going to be dropping a bomb. We're letting everybody know we don't want any innocents to get killed. So clear the area. And basically God told Moshe to tell Paro to do the same thing. Clear the area. Hail is going to come down. You're not letting the Jewish people go. You're getting plague number seven, Barad. Now, what was the reaction? Some went inside and some didn't. And of course, those who went inside were protected and those who stayed outside were not. I keep thinking about what's going on today, you know, to protect ourselves and to go inside and to stay inside while this plague continues, unfortunately, to, uh, to, to, to run its course. So there are two reactions. One reaction... Um, those who those who feared God's name of the Egyptians we're talking about, right? The Jews were not afflicted by these plagues. Those who feared God of the Egyptians, they took, they went inside, they took their cattle inside, they were fine. And then it says, But those who did not place their heart to God, the Torah says, they remained outside and they got, they were destroyed from this terrible um, plague. And Rabbi Lamb, my teacher, you should live and be well, asked the question. The language is not parallel in the Torah. We pay close attention to language in the Torah. The first language is those who feared God went inside. And then it should say those who didn't fear God, they, they stayed outside. But it doesn't say that. It says those who feared God stayed inside and those who did not place their heart to God. And they remained outside. Those who did not pay attention, is like give their heart to the situation, to the matter. So Rabbi Lamb asks if the first class of Egyptians, the ones who listened, are they're the ones who feared God, then the opposite would be the ones who didn't fear God, or perhaps the ones who hated God. Why does it say the ones who just didn't care? And Rabbi Lamb is tells us that this is teaching us the cardinal sin of mankind is not to hate, it is not to oppose, but rather just not to care. Lo sam libo. He says that the Torah can handle challenge and opposition, even rebellion, but not indifference. And we know that the Torah can challenge, can take challenges of hate, of opposition, because what, ha- what do we have by the, uh, the four sons, we talked about this yesterday. You have the wicked son, and he's asking a very cynical question. What is this nonsense that you guys do? The problem is when somebody doesn't care. And that's a major problem with the Jewish community. Just don't care. You ever hear that term, whatever? That's the worst term in the world when you get that from one of your kids. Whatever. Because at least when someone's upset, you can argue with them. 
You can fight with them a little, try to bring them to your side, or you can agree to disagree, but they're in the game. I always say when people get angry with God, I said, sometimes that's a good sign because it shows you believe in God and it shows you're still in a relationship with Hashem. You don't get angry at people you don't care about. You only get angry at people that you truly care about and that you're having an issue with. And Rabbi Lamb writes that we don't absent ourselves from the synagogue. This is when we could go to synagogue. We don't absent ourselves from the synagogue because we are actively atheistic. We don't desecrate the Sabbath because we dislike it. And we do not deprive of our children of a solid Jewish education because in principle we are opposed to it. We just don't care. And not caring is the worst thing in the world. That's what allows cancers to grow and to not be opposed, God forbid. Um, that's what unfortunately prevents things. That's what really just prevents things from being dealt with in life. Not when someone's angry or there's opposition, but one simply doesn't care. I met with someone not too long ago, and this person was uh, in a relationship with someone out of the faith. And I was trying to bring up different things and trying to, it's a very, very difficult conversation. And he just looked at me and in just very stark terms, he said, Rabbi, I just, I just don't care. You know, if he said to me, I'm angry with God, or this bothers me about Judaism, I'd have something to respond to. We could discuss it. And that is a big issue with our generation. It's Ein Yirei Devar Hashem. It's not we don't listen to God. It's that we're lo sam libo. Too many of our brothers and sisters are just not into it. We just don't care. And Rabbi Lamb continues to say, he wrote this brilliant article years ago. He says, indifference. Hang on one second, guys. Sorry about that. He writes that indifference can allow a small growth to develop into something lethal. That's what I was referring to before, cancer. And he says that more marriages are broken because of indifference than because of any real differences between couples. Couples always have differences. But the worst sign of marriage is when the couple just stops caring. It's not when they stop fighting. It's not when that they're fighting. That's okay. You gotta learn how to fight. It's when the couple stops talking to each other and they don't, they don't bother to fight anymore. It was the indifference of the great powers to the plight of European Jewry that cost us six million Jewish lives. The great writer and author George Bernard Shaw said that the greatest sin of mankind is not hate. It's apathy, it's indifference. Hate can be converted into love, but there's nothing you can do with apathy. And that's why the tikkun, the remedy, for so many of our issues today is caring, going out of your way. If it's your spouse, it's your children, it's your friends, it's your parents, your siblings, showing them that you care. And you know, it's harder to do that now when you can't physically see them, but you can call them, you can FaceTime them, you can tell them I'm thinking about you today. Little things. I love this story, one of the children of the late and great Torah sage of Moshe Feinstein, blessed memory, said that on cold winter days, his father of Moshe, who was a very saintly rabbinic figure, 
he would lay out their clothing on the radiator so his children would have something warm to get into when they woke up cold in the morning. And they saw that despite the fact that their father was this internationally known rabbinic figure, he was constantly sought out for his counsel, he found time to do something simple for his children. He showed his kids that he cared about him. When we say we value our marriages or our boyfriend, girlfriends, our significant others, if we cut them off when they speak, we leave our stuff around for them to pick up. It all comes down to what we do, not what we say. And it's the same thing in our relationship with Hashem. It's the same thing. If our relationship with God gets shut down during Corona, because there's no MGE, there's no synagogue, there's no community, what does that say about our relationship with Hashem? We have a personal relationship with God that can never be broken, even if we're locked alone in a room. We are never alone. We are together with our Creator, and we can still talk to God. We can still study His wisdom. We can still keep a Seder and observe Passover, because our relationship with Hashem and with each other is more important than all the other accoutrements. The synagogue is important, but it's not the end all and be all. You can do Judaism from home. And it's not as fun, okay? It's not. And it was not meant to, to be done that way either. But it can be done that way if we have the situation. There's only one possible response to apathy and indifference, and that is demonstrating through our actions that we care that we care about our relationships in our life, that we care about a relationship with Hashem. And then we can be like the Egyptians who didn't just simply fear God, right? Because there were Egyptians by the seventh plague, they were like, oh, we got to start paying attention to this. Because they didn't care, they didn't put their heart towards God. They abandoned their servants and their flocks in the field. And by the way, look what the Pasuk says. Really upsetting. It doesn't say that they stayed outside. It says that they left their cattle outside. They left their servants working outside. Because when you don't care, it's not just that you don't care about God. All you do is you care about yourself and you don't care about other people. You don't care about animals. You don't care about other human beings, about treating them in the right way, even though they're just your servants. That's so interesting. It just hit me from the text as I'm reading this. They left their servants and their cattle in the fields. doesn't say they went outside during the hail. They saw it was hailing. They got inside. But because they didn't have that feeling and that sentiment, they just left everything outside. Um, very, very uh, important. Extremely, extremely important. Who can tell me what time it is? Look at all these amazing people that are in line right now. Wow. Uh, Danny, that you're on here. Jody Teicher. Um, thank you, Jody. That's very sweet, your comment. I'm not going to read that back. That was embarrassing. Um, thank you, Rhonda. Okay, so um, I want to share one other thing. You're going to love this. And that is, oh gosh, amazing story that you can share actually in your, at your Seder. And I'm gonna, I'm going to um, elaborate a little more on this um, next week, by the way, you're all welcome. Tomorrow I'm back on at 12.30 and next Sunday, Monday and Tuesday, um, we're going to be continuing with more, more Torah and more inspiration. 
So this is an amazing story. So great Rosh Yeshiva, as a head of Yeshiva from Israel, was scheduled to actually speak at one of the schools I used to teach at, which is called Ramaz. Ramaz is a very fine, lovely, upper east side Jewish day school, which has been shut down like all the Jewish day schools. And this Rosh Yeshiva from Israel, this great rabbi from Israel, was supposed to speak to the high school students at Ramaz. And the entire auditorium was filled with the students waiting anxiously to hear from the great rabbi. And the rabbi came a few minutes late. Sometimes we're late. And, you know, Israeli laid back guy. And, you know, sometimes rabbis from Israel, they're a little more chill. They're a little more dressed like I am right now. He was wearing a pair of slacks, button down shirt, and knitted kippah. And he first stopped off in the Ramaz office to let them know that he had arrived. And at the very, very same time, while this is going on, I love this story. Um, the man who went from school to school to fill up the vendor machines showed up. And this guy happened to be a Hasidic guy, Hasidic Jew, dressed like a Hasidic Jew, right? With a beard and the payas and the white shirt and black pants with a long coat. And, you know, that was his job. He was the, he would, he would um, fill up the vendor machines with whatever they were filled with. And when he walked into the room and all the students were waiting for this big rabbi from Israel, and the, the vendor machine guy, who they'd never really met before, he only showed up once in a while, mostly when the students weren't there. He walked into the room, the entire student body of Ramaz stood up for him to show him respect. And the senior class <laughs> began to dance around him and they were singing, Or Zarul Tzadik, the light should shine for the Tzadik, the traditional song that you sing when a great Tzadik enters a room. And the vendor machine man really was like, Amazed. He didn't really understand what was going on. And he's a Hasidic guy. Hasidim like to dance, so he starts dancing with all the students. And uh, one of the faculty members realizes what's going on. And um, he goes over to the Hasidic guy while he's dancing. He's like, What are you doing? He says, I don't know. I came here to stop the vending machines. And of course, standing in the back of the room is the rabbi who flew in from Israel, who was watching the many students standing around the vending machine guy. I love, love that story. And it teaches us about appearances because appearances can be deceiving. So many times we judge a book by its cover. Not that this Hasidic vending machine guy was not a holy Jew, but he was not the guest rabbi from Israel. And we sometimes fail to notice what's really on the inside. And, oh, you're not a real rabbi. Look at the way you're dressed. Where's your beard? Where's your long payet? You know, there are different types of rabbis, right? We don't judge a book by its cover. And this is a very important lesson that we learn from none other than Moshe. Uh, can somebody just tell me the time? I just want to see how I'm doing with time. 116. Okay, we're going to finish up. So this is a very important Jewish teaching that we know that Moshe was, was uh, complaining about his speech impediment. And he tells God, I've shared this before here that I'm not a man of speech, um, not from yesterday, not from the day before. Ki kvad pet u kvad lashon anochi, I'm heavy of speech, heavy of tongue. God gets a little angry with Moshe because Moshe is using this as an excuse not to go before Pharaoh. And God says to him, who made a person's mouth? Who makes a person mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, God? And the question, of course, that's posed is, wasn't it important for Moshe to be a good speaker? 
I mean, why didn't God simply fix his speech impediment? God said, no, I want you and you'll take Aaron. You know, and, and Mo, God gives Moshe all these signs. And there's this one great interpretation of the Drashot Haran, and I'll elaborate upon this another time, perhaps. Moshe's not speaking well was actually deliberate. It was intentional, according to the Drashot Haran, great rabbi. God removed Moshe's ability to speak clearly, so no one would think that people were following him because he was this charismatic, handsome, you know, uh, leader that, that sways people's emotions and convinces people of untruths because of his great charm and charisma. An eloquent speaker. We know, we saw this with Hitler, we saw this with other demonic tyrants. They have the ability to convince people that something is true or real, even if it isn't so because of the convincing manner in which the material is presented. And that's why Moshe complains of his speech impediment. That's, excuse me, that's why when Moshe complains of his speech impediment, God gets angry with him because God's saying to Moshe, it's not about you. It's not about the way you speak. It's not about what you look like. You're just my messenger. It's, not a, it's, it's about the people hearing my message. I have a certain message I want to deliver to them. It's not about the messenger, it's about the message. Having the greatest Jewish leader, the man through whom our Torah was given, having a speech impediment, teaches us one of the most fundamental Jewish lessons, which is that what's important in life is not the packaging. It's not the form, it's the substance. I'm going to keep applying all of this to Corona, right? We can't go to synagogue and dress up and do all these things, which are important. But we, Corona is forcing us to strip down our relationship with God to its bare minimum, which is our relationship. And that is what it's all about. It's not all about, it's not about the pomp and circumstance. It's about the core relationship we have with Hashem. Now the mitzvot are there to enable us to have that vehicle through which we can relate to Hashem. But this is a, a very famous mission of Pirkei Avot, in the name of Rabbi Meir, Al Tistakel B'Kankan. Don't look at the kankan. Don't look at the container. Just look inside. We are so guilty of this in our society. We are often swayed by the way people sound, by the way people look. And by the way, everything I say to other people, I'm always saying to myself, this is something I truly, truly struggle with um, about the way things look, the way things sound, right? How often do we look deeper? to really find what's important. Our world has become so surface-oriented, and the Torah teaches us to pursue lives of death, of depth, excuse me, it's the opposite of what I said before, and authenticity of looking at what's real and not just what is perceived. I'll tell you, I've been interviewed, um, and I just posted it before uh, this, uh, this morning. I was interviewed yesterday morning by Channel 2 about how Different people are celebrating the Seder and Passover. You can check it out. And I was like, it's like so weird. I'm just like sitting there like this, the Zoom thing. I didn't get a chance to like comb my hair or whatever it is. And the woman said like, I need, I need a clip from a rabbi now. And I just did it and it's on there. And it's like, and I'm not, I'm looking at all these other guys. I was watching Jimmy Kimmel. I like watching the Jimmy Kimmel show. How many guys like Jimmy Kimmel? I love him. Um, I think he's funny. I was watching, he was, um, interviewing somebody else. Was it Adam Sandler? I think it was Adam Sandler. And like Adam Sandler, whatever, Adam Sandler shows up like that all the time with a baseball hat and a t-shirt. But 
I think there's something positive a little about getting away from some of the external and some of the fakeness that we get so excited about and so inspired about. It's all about what's inside. It's not about the way we dress. It's not about the, um, um, the, the, the external. It's really about um, what's happening inside. And I really want to encourage everyone to follow this as much as we can and to not say, well, I can't really do praying because I only pray when I go to synagogue. That's an external kind of approach to prayer because prayer is a very personal thing. And I asked Rabbi Joshua Klein, a.k.a. Shuki, spent a lot of time in this. We just sent out an email to our core. We're going to post it as well. Cheat sheets. We've got all these cheat sheets that will help you pray during the holiday. The holiday starts tomorrow night, Wednesday night. Um, I think candle lighting is 7.10. And um, then there are prayers that you can say at night. They're not long. It's just the mar of the evening prayer before you start your Seder. The next morning is Thursday morning. Well, you have the opportunity to pray again. Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening for the second night of Yantif. Friday morning, the second day of Yantif. And then, of course, Shabbat, Friday night, Saturday. Try to, if you can, we'll, we'll, we'll try to get these uh, cheat sheets out. If anybody would like me to send you one, just email me at mark, uh, markwilds at gmail, M-A-R-K-W-I-L-D-E-S at gmail. And I'll, I'll email that to you. That's a real way of showing what tefillah is truly about. The same thing with the Seder. We can't do everything exactly, but you do the best you can. You make it sincere, you make it authentic, you make it real. Um, and we have opportunities also, and I'm going to keep mentioning, I mentioned it last night. We've got this great Los Angeles Seder that's going to be happening in real time. I want to make it clear. The instructions are very, very simple. We sent out the, uh, an email yesterday with the Zoom. You just click on the Zoom, 7 o'clock, put it on at 7. Rabbi Yona Bookstein will be there for you. Uh, he'll give you some preliminary things. You'll probably start the Seder at around a quarter to 8. And, um, and that you will be able to at least have someone else there with you if you're alone for your Seder. Or you're not alone, but you need a little instruction, a little inspiration at your Seder. I think that's fine as well to use it. Just remember to mute the audio and the video. And so you can see Rabbi Yonah, but he won't be able to see you, or, and nor will he be able to hear you. Very, very proud that we're doing this. Sorry we couldn't pull off anything for the second night, Seder. You do the best you can, but at least you'll have that for the first night. Um, also, a couple of other quick instructions. I'm so sorry. Any questions about anything I've said? I talked a little about the Chaybahem, and we talked about the prayer that they said at Bergen-Belsen. We talked about being authentic and real. I spoke about being curious and the, and, the, and the rabbis that stayed up all night in the Haggadah to talk about Exodus, even though they knew what it was about, about continuing to grow and learn. Any other comments and questions? Rabbi, just to double check, do you have the 18 minutes for Yom Tov candle lighting? So yes, yeah, 7.10 tomorrow night is candle lighting. So 7.28 um, is really when the holiday um, you know, technically begins. Uh, you, oh, that's right. You could light later if you didn't get to light at 710, but you should ideally light at 710. Um, but when you light the Yom Tov candle, anytime over the holiday, Devra, or anyone else interested in this, um, light from an existing flame. So if you have like, a, uh, like a, a candle that you can keep lit for the holiday, 
like a long candle, that would be really, really great. Uh, Jonathan Brody, Rabbi, in a personal note, I davened at home by myself for years before attending a morning minion during the week. Jo- uh, Jonathan, I appreciate you saying that. See, a lot of people are not used to praying alone. And sometimes people can have even more kavana, more focus and concentration praying alone. Um, and it's a really good time to start brushing up on your prayer so when we get back together soon, 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 your prayer and your Hebrew will be better. I spoke to Shuki last night. We are going to Bleeneder, have a Hebrew class after the holiday. We're going to start with one that was Jill's great idea. And Michael Savitsky wants to know, he should be able to mute everyone from his side too. That's true. He should. I think he is. Um, what's that? I think he is. Who? Uh, you want a book's name? Yeah. Okay, good. He is going to mute it from his side also, which is good. But the idea is that you're not supposed to technically be captured by a camera um, unless you're following the other rabbinic opinion that is, says it's okay. There's a debate about that. You want to get yourself one of these. What's this? Oh, if you can get yourself, this is called a seven-day candle. Or a three-day. Or you can get a three-day candle. You can have that lit, and then you can uh, light your Shabbat candles uh, from this, from, uh, uh, from an existing flame. Because on Yom Tov, you can, um, you can light a candle on Yom Tov, you can cook on Yom Tov, but, uh, and you can carry as well, even if there's no Erev, you just can't do any of the other of the 39 uh, labors. Um, okay, Andrew Radin, you're joining us. Um, okay. Any other questions or comments? Oh, good. Let me just think if there's one other. Yeah, if you still need to um, sell your chametz, you can still do that with Chabad. Thank God for Chabad. Just go on Chabad.org and you should have a, a sale of chametz form that you should be able to, to use for that. Um, and uh, any other questions, you should know that tonight is a very, very special night. Let me just mention this before I, uh, I sign off. Tonight is Bidikat Chametz, which is after nightfall. Just uh, there's a blessing that is recited. Just open up any prayer book and look for the search for Chametz. Or if you have a Haggadah, it's in the beginning of the Haggadah usually as well. There's a blessing that you make. If... Um, you make the blessing and then you just search around anywhere in your home where you might have put chametz. And um, if you don't bring chametz into the bathroom or into some closet somewhere, you don't have to search. You don't have to go crazy. Just search the areas where you normally bring food. And then um, you take the 10 pieces of bread, put them around and gather the 10 pieces of bread with whatever chametz that you find, gather them together and then recite the bittel. The bittel is just a verbal nullification of your ownership of any chametz that you might have overlooked, right? It's just a very, it's a one line. Let's see if I have it here. Um, Yeah, you just say, you basically say any chametz which is in my possession, which I did not see or not remove or not know about should be nullified and become ownerless like the dust of the earth. Any chametz which is in my possession, which I did not see and remove, not know about, should be nullified and become ownerless like the dust of the earth. If anybody wants to post that on here, that's great. That's a really important uh, line to say because you can verbally relinquish any ownership uh, relationship that you have with your chametz and then take those 10 pieces of bread and any chametz you might find and then keep them for tomorrow morning. And tomorrow morning before 11 o'clock, you need to then burn the chametz. If you can't burn it, it's okay to just flush it down the toilet or just get rid of it outside of your home into the public arena somewhere. 
Uh, and then you have a second verbal declaration. It's very similar, but the language is a little different. Just check your Haggadah. And that's what we're going to be doing tonight and tomorrow, the search tonight, the, and, and plus the nullification, and then tomorrow, uh, the nullification, the, the, uh, the burning, if you will, or the destroying, flush down the toilet, get rid of it, and then the nullification once again. Uh, and uh, what's that? Don't clog your toilet. Yeah, don't clog your toilet if you're flushing it down. Uh, the toilet. If anybody has any questions, please speak to me today. You can call me 917-841-8870, 917-841-8870, Mark Wilds at Gmail, or call Shuki, Rabbi Ezra Kohn, Rabbi Pinny Rosenthal, um, Chani, um, Allison, and the whole staff. We're here to help you get ready for this very strange, but please God, beautiful Passover that you and your family should have. I'll see you back here tomorrow, 1230, same time, same place. And um, yeah, be good guys. Thank you for watching. Really great crowd today. Thank you all for being here. And I'm um, seeing if there are any other questions. Um, have a relaxing and enjoyable three days off of technology. Thank you, Ron Brody. Yes. I appreciate that, my friend. Trisha, welcome to Hila. I thank you. Um, guys, thank you for the chizak. I really appreciate all the hearts and the thumbs up. It really, uh, I forgot, can you do it tonight, anytime after eight? Yes, Stephanie, Stephanie Hausner is asking a very good question. You can do the bedikat chametz all night. I mean, it shouldn't take you all night. It shouldn't take that long. But, um, depends how much chametz you got around, I guess. Uh, yeah, anytime after eight o'clock is fine. That's cool. And, um, you know, obviously, if you're selling your chametz, take the chametz that you have that you're selling and put it in some area that you're not going to inadvertently, you know, stumble upon and, and eat something. You don't have to actually move it from the cupboards or from the refrigerator. You can leave it in the fridge, the stuff you're selling, or the cupboards, and just put a sign over that says chametz here. And, um, and that's it. Okay, I kept my family quiet for long enough. Thank you all, and we'll see you tomorrow. And uh, should be a beautiful and blessed holiday. Thank you all for joining in. It's a pleasure. And thank you, Adina Berkowitz, for, uh, for covering for yesterday and for her wonderful scholar in residence. What a beautiful crowd. Chag kasher v'semech to you, uh, Tehila, as well, and to everyone else. Uh, really beautiful having you all here. Have a great, great day. Enjoy. Be strong, be healthy, and don't let the day pass without calling someone and telling you love them and you're here for them. Help somebody who's a little worse off. Have a great day. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Wildscast. Subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. If you haven't already, please leave us a review on the Apple Podcast Store. It only takes a minute, and when you do, it helps others discover the show. For more information about the Manhattan Jewish Experience, visit our website at jewishexperience.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for joining us today.